The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. It won't be long. Your life will pass by as a vapor and you will stand before the judgment seat of God. And every secret deed and thought, every wrinkle, every spot will be in view. Before the one who knows all things, the Lord of Lord and King of Kings, you know the one you never knew. While you have breath, you have a choice to make in life. Turn away from your sin and believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him from the judgment that's to come He is the shelter from the coming storm All creation shakes at the mention of His name He has power over life and death Every knee will bow and tongue confess Heaven and earth will proclaim That Jesus Christ is Lord To the glory of the Father Will you bow, will you surrender To His majesty He can save you from the might of all your sin the fight in which he stands in perfect victory while you have breath you have a choice to make in life turn away from your sin and believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter from the coming storm While you have breath 
You have a choice to make in life Turn away from all your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter from the coming storm He's the only shelter from the coming storm Many times in my life I have felt very ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The problem was not with the gospel. The problem was with me. See, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. That's what the Apostle Paul says in Romans, the first chapter, verse 16. But something inside of me, a contrarian part of me, somehow wanted to live my own life. I wanted to walk in my own way. You see, in the gospel, there's a, an innocence that's from God. And that innocence cuts out the lust, cuts out the the arrogance, it cuts out the the desire to be somebody. That innocence judges me when I have wanted what I wanted. The righteous or the innocent live by faith. Well, often I've not wanted to live by faith. I've wanted to live in what I could touch, what I could feel with my hands, what I could see, what I could accomplish, what I could be. And so I was condemned by the innocence of God. Now, there's another aspect to this, and I don't know, you may not identify at all, but I'll report honestly on myself. There has been, from the time I was a small child, I can't remember a time when it was not there, there has been in me a driving desire. I don't know how else to put it. There's been a driving desire to find Jesus. Now, many times, what I wanted took me off track. 
And so I pursued my own, my own success and my own career. I pursued what would give me recognition that would make me seem to be important, that would cause people to like me, that I could be approved of. So, of course, I was a pastor from the time I was a small child. I started preaching as a little boy. And there were these two sides of me. The side that wanted my own way, but was also afraid of of going my own way. Not wanting the disapproval of my parents and my family, not wanting the disapproval of the church. I grew up in the church. I saw the reality of what was behind the curtain in the institutional church in America, and it was not pretty. It was, it was ugly. It was bickering and fighting and lying and cheating and fornicating and every unclean thing. So as I grew up and went to college and went to seminary and became a pastor, it was this battle going on in my soul. A driving force that says, I want to be innocent before God. I want to walk clean with God. I want to be known of God. I want God to be pleased with me. And on the other side, I want my own way. I want what I want. Now, I never did anything that most of you would say is, oh, that's horrible, pastor. No, but pride is horrible. Arrogance is against the Lord. Striving to be successful in order to be honored is an abomination before God. And I felt in my life the wrath of God that's spoken of in Romans, the first chapter, verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. I often suppress the truth by my desire to be loved and accepted and be somebody. I was taught from a a child, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Well, what does that mean? That I don't get my way? So there's been in my life this constant struggle I want to go my way, which is success, pride, having position and money and power, being somebody. And on the other side, humbling my heart, acknowledge, acknowledging that God holds my life in his hand,
And as Jonathan Edwards, in that great sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, said, You sinner, God holds you in the palm of his hand, and he can at any moment tip you over and you will fall into hell. I knew that. So I was a part of the institutional church. And I discovered all kinds of wickedness in the institutional church. Every unclean thing was there. The love of money, the love of prostitutes, the love of power and position and political manipulation. I saw all the uncleanness. And I said, how can this be God? And I saw in my own heart the disparity between the purity of Jesus and the and the ugly brokenness of my own heart, my own life. Now it's plain. It's plain to any of us who God is. He's pure. He's clean. He's loving. He's just. His divine nature is obvious to us. You cannot hide from the reality that there is a God. Oh, you can say there's not. You can be an atheist if you choose, but that's your religion because you're in rebellion against the Almighty God. Anyone with a brain can look outside and see the sun shining and see the trees and the grass and the the birds, nature. How did that happen? It didn't just happen. It was created by an intelligent being. Only an unintelligent being would say that it was just happenstance. It was just out of a a, a blog somewhere or a, a bog of mud and mire and or that we came from monkeys. No, come on. Get serious. So the question then comes, there is a God. We know there's a God. Will you glorify him as God? Will you give thanks to him? Because he is God and because of what he has done. Or will you go with that side of rebellion, bitterness, anger, disappointment? Will you side with that side of you that wants to be somebody, that wants to be God? And will you allow your heart to become darkened? In this struggle, it took time. It took time. I I began to search for God and finally say, okay, I'm going to do an all-out search for God. 
I'm going to give myself into his hands. And I'm going to say, I will receive only from your hand what you choose to give me. Now you know that when you pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a very dangerous prayer because you are saying, I want your will to be done in my life like your will is done in heaven. And I prayed that prayer understanding what I was saying. And so in the midst of praying that prayer, I was allowing God to take charge and do whatever he wanted to do in my life because I wanted his will to be accomplished in my life. Now, part of what happened, I came to recognize that the institutional church is simply a mechanical institution. And my heart was hungry for something organic, something real. In the process of all of that, the Lord separated me from all public ministry for a period of about seven years. During that time, I lost everything, my home, my house. I lost my car. I lost all my money. Every resource was consumed in this passion to know God. And I spent my days reading the scriptures Genesis to Revelation, often reading through it in a month's time, sometimes two months, three months, studying it, reading it, crying out to God, praying, recognizing that I had been very hard-hearted and selfish in my life. And it was out of that seven years that God birthed the National Prayer Chapel. Now, I didn't understand all that I'm going to tell you as it was happening. I've come to understand it much better in these recent months. I set about to open a church, to build a church. And very quickly people began to come to the prayer chapel. And soon we had a congregation of about a 100 people. And yes, had I taken certain actions recommended to me by very astute, dedicated Christian people, that church would have grown rapidly would have built a structure and would have become a large megachurch. But there was something in my soul that cried out that said, I don't want an institutional church. And so the program at the National Prayer Chapel during that time was the blood of Jesus Repentance, humbling our hearts, calling to get right with Jesus. 
And that was fine for people for so long. And then they'd leave. And I didn't really understand why they were leaving, but some told me they wanted an organization. They wanted a structure. They wanted, they wanted the accoutrements of the institutional church. And I was sick in my heart with the institutional church. And I didn't want to be a part of one, and I didn't want to build one. I wanted to find Jesus. I wanted to get to Jesus. I wanted the Holy Spirit to build whatever he chose to build. And so people would come so far in their journey. And then as one man said, my wife is telling me that if I don't leave the National Prayer Chapel and go strike out on my own, I'm never going to be anybody, and I'm never going to have a ministry. Well, needless to say, today he still doesn't have a ministry, and he's still not somebody. God totally countered him. But I watched as as honest people, honest men and women, did everything they could to call me to build that institutional church. One man came to a point where he was a serious Christian. He was walking with the Lord in every way he knew. But he became increasingly upset with me. I could see clearly why there was a great overlay of pride in his heart. And he couldn't get past that pride, and he couldn't talk about it, and I couldn't, he wouldn't let me talk to him about it. And so finally he blew out. And I made decisions, personal decisions, that caused some people a great deal of anguish. And I did make many mistakes. I have made so many mistakes. But through all of this, there has been a drive in my heart. I want Jesus. I don't want play religion. I've sat on too many boards. I've chaired too many meetings. I've I've laid plans for too many outreaches and too many ministries and been consumed with the time and energy to build those structures in the institutional church. And my heart was not satisfied. If you're catching on to what I'm saying, I am not pleased with the American church. I think it's apostate. It is mechanical. It has denied Christ in its decisions and its actions in so many ways. And it's not my point to talk about that today. What I'm trying to say is 
do you have in your heart this driving power to find Jesus? Now, it may be new to you or it may be very old as it is for me. But do you have that drive in your heart to find Jesus, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not with the Kundalini Spirit, not with the laughing revival junk. And I term it that way. I'd like to make it stronger, but I won't. I want the honest presence and power of the Holy Spirit moving in my life and in the life of a congregation, an assembly, a church. Church means ecclesia, the called out ones. The church that we see in America today, they've never been called out of the world, the flesh or the devil. They still walk like the devil. They still act like the devil. There's no measurable difference between the way they spend their time, money, energy, and the way the world spends its time, energy, and money. No, I want to see a people who will come out, who will be separate, whose primary focus in their heart is they want Jesus. And they're going to do anything they have to do. They're going to expend any expense necessary. There is nothing held back. They receive only from the hand of the Lord what he will give them. They've laid pride in the dust. They've laid their ambitions down. They have now totally in their heart said, Jesus, I want one thing. I want you, Jesus Christ, and I want the empowerment of your Holy Spirit like the apostles of old and the Christians in the New Testament church had. I want Jesus. I find in this Romans, the first chapter, it says they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men birds, and animals. I mean, what that says is they chose the physical realm over the spiritual realm. I'm not willing to do that. Even if it means success. If it means failure, so be it. I want Jesus. I'm not going to choose the physical realm. I'm not going to be driven by money. I'm not going to be driven by the approval of men. I can come on this broadcast and say exactly what my heart is hungry for. I want Jesus. Now, what's that look like to me? Well, to me, it looks like being made innocent by faith in Jesus Christ. It means walking in the gifts, in the gift of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It means being transformed into a man who can be used by the Holy Spirit in love and kindness and mercy, but also in justice, also in a calling out of sin and a rebuking of sin. It's not squishy. It's not sentimental. It's in actions. 
It's in actions that represent who Jesus is and what he wants in his body today, not in his institution. I mean, do you consider it worthwhile to gain a knowledge of Jesus and to retain that in your life and to let that shape who you are, what you do, where you go? I mean, it's clear. Paul says in Romans 3, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. And all of that's true. It's the Holy Spirit's presence and power. It's the blood of Jesus. It's the, it's the will of God that we be drawn to his heart. This drive in my heart for Jesus is not something that I've put there. It's something that he has put there. It's the cry of my heart. I mean, Paul says in Romans 6, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? See, that's the institutional church. We're covered by grace. You can continue to walk in your sin. You're saved. You're, you're loved unconditionally. And, and you can't be lost. And then, of course, they run into a wall when you ask them the question, oh, You're eternally secure, and God has unconditional love. Yes. You're part of God's family. Yes. Well, can you take the mark of the beast so you can feed your family? And one national pastor, being consistent, said, yes, of course you can take the mark of the beast and still be saved, because all of your sins, past, present, and future, were forgiven at the cross. Of course, he's lying. I don't know if he knows he's lying, but it's a a heap of garbage. You can't go on sinning. At least I haven't been able to, as I have sought after Jesus. He has been trimming me according to the 15th chapter of John. He's been pruning me until I'm down to just about nothing. He's pruned me. He's cut back. He's cut back. He's cut back. He's cut back. Till sometimes I despair of whether I can even live. But there is such joy and life and power as I let him do that in my life. I ask him to do that. I ask him to prune my life. I ask him to have his will done in my life. No matter what else, I want the will of God to be done in Ray Greenlee's heart and life. I don't want my way. I don't want my will. I've crossed the Rubicon. Somewhere in this journey, I finally came to the reality that it's Jesus or nothing. And I need him to come in power and wash and cleanse in every respect to prune 
I have been baptized into the death of Jesus. I have been buried with him through baptism into death so that I can live a new life. That new life has a central force in it. I spoke about this inner drive that I've experienced through my life, but that inner drive has now become an overall explosive reality that that controls and guides my entire life, who I am, what I do, where I go, what I say. He says, if we have been united with him in his death, we certainly also will be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. In my life, I have, I have sinned many times. I mean, sin that brought the wrath of God on my life, that brought a deadness to my spirit so that I could not sense the presence of God anymore where I have been wandering like a lost sheep, unable to, unable to know how to get back to God, having no ability to walk in faith. You know, just aside, let me say this to you. The faith the scripture speaks of in the 11th chapter of Hebrews is not faith that I work up. It's not, I've got to have this faith. Faith, I have faith. Please, faith, faith, faith. No, 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 no. It's not my faith, it's God's faith. How does faith come to us? Well, every man is given a small measure of faith. I'm talking about real faith. I'm talking about life-shaping righteousness in faith. You know that righteousness doesn't come out of my heart. It comes out of God's heart. Righteousness is a gift. Not walking in sin is a gift of God. Being righteous is something that God does in us and for us and with us. How does faith come? I was asked that question yesterday. Pastor, I just don't seem to have any faith. I'm, I'm begging God to give me faith. You don't have to beg God to give you faith. Faith comes from a rhema word from God. A rhema word from God is a God-breathed word to your heart. And that God-breathed word comes to your heart through repentance. 
Repentance is the door through which faith walks. Well, pastor, I've repented of everything I know. Well, read the scriptures more, and the scriptures will point out by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit what needs to be changed in your life. God doesn't want just feelings. God wants actions. So a man says, I've got to have faith. Well, great. Are you tithing? Oh, no, no. Tithing is an Old Testament concept. No, it's not. No, it's not. Tithing is very New Testament. It's where I take my condensed time and energy in what is called money, and I put it on the altar before God. And the Lord sees that. And he acts on our behalf. Why? Because we're putting skin in the game. Oh. Somebody wants me to sit down with them and watch this movie, but I know this movie is darkness. But I don't want to displease them. I don't want to make them unhappy. So you sit down and you open your heart and your mind with them to this wickedness. And then you say, where's God? Well, you've been feasting out of the garbage can. God is gone. He doesn't feast at the garbage can. Faith comes out of specific actions of obedience and loyalty to Jesus Christ. And as you increase those specific required actions that the Holy Spirit has called you to, that you don't want to hear, by the way. You know, I didn't want to hear the Holy Spirit say many years ago, turn your television off. I didn't want to take my $1,000 large screen television and go dump it in the trash, but that's what he told me to do. So I did it. I wanted to use my credit card to provide what I needed to provide until I was $70,000 in credit card debt and couldn't go any further. Now, I wanted to declare bankruptcy and say, I can just wipe it all out. And the Lord said, no, you don't. That's stealing. You get on your face and you repent. And I'll give you the faith to believe that I'll cover the bills that you have created. And I did. And by the year 2000, I was debt-free and have never gone in debt again. Now, that means I don't drive a new car for which I've gone in debt. Actions of obedience to the Holy Spirit brings faith into our hearts and brings the innocence of God into our spirit. And it's all by grace. It's God's grace. So I want to tell you today that the drive in my heart toward Jesus is stronger than ever. 
Am I as close to Jesus as I want to be? No, 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 I'm not. But I have prayed and continue to pray, God, make me as holy as a man can be made holy. That's a very dangerous prayer. I don't know what he'll do to answer it, but I am praying that prayer. Lord, have your way and make me as holy as any man can be made holy. I recognize that as men, sinners, before an almighty God, we have limited our capacity. But by the grace of Jesus, we can be restored and built up. And so he's looking for those specific acts of obedience to his name, giving to the poor, fasting, reading the word, praying, and then obeying in detail whatever he tells us to do. Oh, but pastor, I have these responsibilities over here, and I have... I have this responsibility and that responsibility and and I've got to pay back all my debts. And no, you come as you are and you lay it all before Jesus. Jesus, what about my children? What about my grandchildren? What about this person, that person? What about what? And I wait on him for direction because he is first. He is foremost. I will receive only from his hand what he chooses to give me, not what I can go and earn, not what I can grab. As one precious woman said, I go into the prayer closet and I stay there until I can see the table of the Lord and there on the table I'll see what I need. I grab it and run. And I said to her, Sometime you're going to grab it and you're going to run and the fire of God's going to strike you down and consume you and you will die. You dare not grab from God. Don't grab anything from God ever again. She looked at me like I'd lost my mind. No, I want Jesus to give me what he wants to give me. And I'm going to wait on the Lord to give me what he chooses to give to me. I'm not going to demand. I'm not going to condemn God for not doing something for me. I'm his servant. I'm his slave. And there is this deep inner knowing that I am on my way, that I am on a journey to the celestial city like pilgrim, In Pilgrim's Progress, there are valleys of humiliation. I've been through many valleys of humiliation that I have caused to come into my own life. I've had valleys of humiliation where, again, I have had precious men and women that I love turn in bitter anger against me and walk away. I've had family members cut me off. And not speak to me. That's too painful to even really talk about. But ringing above. Ringing above all of those things. 
comes the constant cry of my Savior saying, Ray, follow thou me. Ray, follow me. Don't follow after your kids. Don't follow after your grandkids. Don't follow after your desire for a car. Don't follow after the desire for a house. Don't follow after whatever it is your heart desires. He says to me, Ray, come and follow me. Come and follow me. I know where the road ends. It ends at the Jordan River at the edge of the promised land. And there I'll have to cross over that Jordan, which is death into the promised land. But he will carry me. He will provide for me. And he invites me to enter into his rest. Hebrews, the third and fourth chapters. Now, if you don't have an inner drive to get to Jesus, why are you listening to this broadcast? (laughs) I can tell you now that if you have an interest in what's being said, there is, whether you recognize it or not, the voice of the Holy Spirit calling you to come and follow Jesus. The question is, will you harden your heart and turn away from him Or will you begin to say to him, Lord, I want your will to be done in my life. No matter what the cost is, I want your will alone to be done in my heart. And I am going to follow after you, Jesus, even if I am shamed, naked, and starving to death. I am going to follow after you if I lose my house, if I lose my family, if I lose everything that is precious to me in this world. I am going to follow you, Jesus. Your life is in the hand of Jesus. And your ways are in the hand of Jesus. He knows you. He counts even the hair upon your head. He loves you with compassionate, merciful love. And I am begging you today not to harden your heart, but to recognize that the Holy Spirit is coming after you. Now, you'll turn aside like I have. You'll make really stupid decisions like I have. You will do things that you will weep over and you will say, how could I possibly do that? How could I possibly do that? It was wrong. Remember, faith comes by repentance. Marriages are healed by repentance. Can I say that again? Marriages are healed by repentance, by humility of heart, by gentleness, 
not by demanding my way, not by arrogance, not by saying, you don't respect me. No peace and joy come through being made righteous in Jesus Christ through the doorway of repentance, confession, honest dealing with one another. Do you have in your heart a growing, driving desire to know Jesus Christ and be known by him? If you do, then you go where he sends you, even if it's to a different church family. You read what he tells you to read, especially in the word of God. You obey the voice of the Spirit, and he will make that clear if you're willing to hear. Right now, it may be a very faint sound. One of my favorite stories when I was a boy was Robin Hood. And little John was captivated by the wicked sheriff of Nottingham. And he finally went and joined the wicked sheriff and lived a life of absolute luxury. But one morning early, as was not his custom, he awakened and the window was open and he heard the sweet trumpet sound long and far away from Robin Hood's abiding place in the forest. And suddenly memories began to flood his heart and his soul the joy he had in the fellowship of being a part of Robin Hood's band. And he said, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go back. I miss Robin Hood in the band. And so he went into the cupboards and he loaded up sacks of food. He got on his donkey. And he left the wicked sheriff of Nottingham and he went back to Sherwood Forest and was welcomed with open arms. I always loved that part of the story. I feel like I'm on my way back home. My home is heaven. I'm my way back now to Jesus, to his disciples, not to a church that's filled with darkness and mechanical, but to an organic body of of believers with Jesus as its head. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that each person who has reached out for prayer, that you will hear the cry of their heart for their marriage, or you'll hear the cry of their heart for their their work, or for the loneliness of their heart or the despair of their life. Lord, I ask that in every one of these cases you would put a driving desire in the heart, that you would put a, a desire in the heart to be clean, that every unclean spirit would be broken, that our families would come to you in the joy of who you are, Jesus, 
that you would establish your authority among us who call ourselves Christians, that you would give us gentle and loving hearts, that you would wash us and cleanse us, that you would restore what the devil has stolen from us. Almighty God, would you put such a strong desire in the heart of every person listening that they would come to you in humility and repentance and be filled by your Holy Spirit, receiving only from your hand what you choose to give. Lord, I thank you. And I praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I'd love to hear from you. We're coming to the end of the month and Thanksgiving is just ahead. Would you write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or would you go online to nationalprayerchapel.com? You can give online to help in this work of the gospel. I walk by faith, not by sight. Go to nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. Praise his name and worship him and give him thanks, for he is good. I'll talk to you soon. Before the presence of his glory.